Hi, this is Chris Griffiths, the director of The Robert England Story. My name is Gary Smart. I am the co-director of Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, The Robert England Story. And you are listening to the Horror Pod podcast. Squad podcast episode number 280. Tonight we're talking about 2005's Tim Sullivan directed 2001 Maniacs. I'm one of your co host Todd. We have Joe and we have Steve. And Steve, we have an interview, right? We do. We talked to the two uh, directors of the uh, Robert England documentary, which is titled Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares The Robert England Story. Uh, that's Gary Smart and Christopher Griffith. Really, really great interview. They had some amazing insight of what working with Robert England was like and some great stories. And we had a lot of fun recording this one and uh, definitely worth checking out. It's uh, we'll talk about the documentary during what watched, but uh, yeah, the interview is a good one. So stay tuned. Very cool. And Joe and Steve, man, you got to tell me all about Texas Frightmare Weekend. Did the barbecue live up to his name? How were the crowds? Was everyone fucking stinking? Was it hot? Who was the best celeb? Who was the worst? Take it away. Sure. Uh, I got to say the barbecue absolutely lived up to it. I like we were talking about whether we wanted because it was a bit of a hike. I want to say it was like almost 40 minutes from where we were staying to go there. So I was like, ah, maybe we should just go to hard eight or something because it's only like 10 minutes away or something. But we decided to go and fucking amazing it was the best barbecue i've ever had in my life probably it put fucking it put heart eight to shame it made heart eight seem like a piece of shit honestly like (laughs) i'm glad you it was it was so good man it was the best it was one of the best meals i think i've ever had um i got the jalapeno cheddar uh sausage which was amazing got the pulled pork got the brisket which maybe the best brisket i've ever had uh, mac and cheese and um the street corn like thing i thought it was gonna be like corn on the cob street corn but it came like in a little plate instead but oh man it was it was so fucking good just delicious uh steve take it away i concur 100 percent. so the day the night i got there, i got there pretty late on the thursday and i didn't really feel like you know venturing out because i was really tired from a 12 hour fucking flight day so right next door there's something called dickie's barbecue which Apparently it's a chain. I, oh, I, it's it's like a fucking like fast food barbecue. Right. I can't believe you did that to yourself. <laughs> well, there's not like it's the only thing that was walking distance, you know. Uh, it was that or fucking Wendy's. I wasn't gonna go to Wendy's. So yeah, so I, I tried Dickie's barbecue. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great, but uh, 407 barbecue, man, that was legit. That is exactly what I expected out of Texas. You know, uh, the brisket, holy shit, like it just melts in your mouth. Absolutely incredible. Um, loved, fantastic, loved it. And if I ever go back to Texas. I will try to venture out out there again. Yes, and, have it. and you know, and you know, you're in Texas when there's a gun range, like right, right behind it, right, right, right in the back, baby, right yeah. in the back. <laughs> you, you eat and then you go shoot and then you shoot and you go eat. That's man. right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was so that was funny. Um, interesting. Uh, as far as Texas Frightmare, um, yeah, different location this year, so I was really anxious to see how that was going to be. And I gotta say, I think it was a big improvement for the most part. I do think there's some kinks. They definitely need to work out but i think moving from the hotel to this convention center 
like you never felt I never felt anyway. I mean, I'll have to get Steve, obviously we'll have to get Steve's take on it, but I never felt like it was overcrowded um like I did at the hotel years. Never felt like it was hot or overheated. I also felt like the line control was a lot better as well. I think they did a great job especially with Ramey and Carpenter's lines of it not ever feeling overwhelmed. Uh, Steve and I also had VIP, so we got in an hour early. So I know both of us knocked out most of our autographs in that extra hour early VIP because pretty much all the celebs were there, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it not being in a hotel, I thought was going to kind of stink, but the hotel we stayed at, which was the Westin, literally right next door to the convention center, not even a two minute walk, you know, so it almost felt like it was still attached to the hotel. So we were able to walk back and forth with absolutely uh, zero issues. So yeah, as far as the venue goes, I-, I thought it was great. I mean, this Steve hasn't been before, so I'm anxious to see what he thought. Yeah, same thing. I've been to a lot of cons and really big cons at that. And this one, yeah, super well organized. You know, there are a few kinks that Maybe I think they should work on, but uh, nothing much. Like it didn't smell like a fucking bo factory. Which kudos to the people in Texas uh, that that day. It might be just the venues well ventilated, or maybe I was never really into big lines because, like Joe said, with the VIP, I knocked out all my autographs within the first hour of the Friday, and then did cleanup on the Saturday. So I was never really in line for very much. My one little issue is that. The way that the celebrities were set up, particularly like Nick Castle, the Killer Clowns, uh, PJ Souls, a few of them, they were like right in an alley. So there wasn't a lot of space to line up. So it was very awkward because it was like where the vendors were and stuff. And there's like a lot of bumping going around. But other than that, yeah, great con. Having the hotel right in front was great. We went back for drinks often. Uh, Yeah, it's a great time. Honestly, I don't have that many complaints about it. Cool. Uh, Any like rough celebrity encounters you guys had this time not necessarily carpenter is carpenter man like he you just know what you're gonna get out of him i told steve it's like the soup nazi line where like literally you just hand your poster to him let him sign it, and move on don't say anything to him that's because kind of how it feels like with him um but you know he seemed like in mostly good spirits but he just is he just gives off that kind of grumpy old man vibe in general so yeah but like i thought he was okay like he you know he seemed for the most part to you know kind i saw him kind of interacting with people here and there like not incomplete he was a little rough with steve though i know steve's gonna tell the story so go for it steve yeah i mean i knew i knew what to expect so i'm not i don't have my feelings hurt in any way you know i thought it was actually funny but they're basically like you have your posters out and the interaction that you have with him is basically what color pen to use on your print right so I had two prints to have signed, my own, and uh, actually a listener of our show, Evan, who shout out to all the people we met, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. And so Evan, that was his first autograph, and he asked it if it was possibly to be done in red. So I give that one first to John Carpenter, and he's, I'm like, in red, please, like that, no problem. He grabs it, he he makes like a big red line, and he's like, no, it looks like shit. <laughs> so he, he like puts the red pen down and then takes the silver one and signs like next to it. So you could still totally see the big red line that he did originally. And then he gets to mine. And I'm like, can I have it in um, in bronze, please? He's like, bronze looks like shit. So he grabs a fucking silver pen and takes that one instead. And so every one of my autographs on that poster is bronze, but his is uh, silver. So and that was it. That was my Jeez. entire John <laughs> Carpenter experience. Uh, 
it uh, ended up being fine because when I got my Evil Dead poster signed, uh, everyone had also signed in bronze, but for some reason Sam Raimi signed in silver. So it's like my directors are in silver and my like the stars are in bronze. So it doesn't bother me at all. But I thought it was a funny interaction. Um, and as far to answer your question, uh, other than Tom Savini, who's just like he's out comat- there, he's practically like comatose when he's like he's just there. <laughs> you, you know, you, he might as well be a fucking cutout. You know, <laughs> like a cutout with a robot hand that signs because. I took a picture with him. I tried to talk to him, and it was just—he was just not there. Everyone else, fucking fantastic. I had so much great interactions with people, ranging from Nick Castle was fucking amazing. Uh, everyone from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I have some great stories that I'll tell a little bit later. And everyone, really, everyone that I met was great. So, how was Sam Raimi? Very polite, very nice, oh. dressed in his you know typical suit as him and his brother. Always do. Uh, shook my hand, said thank you for supporting the franchise and everything like that. So yeah, really, really nice guy. Yeah, he's he might have been my favorite celebrity interaction I had actually. So yeah, I thought he was great. Cool. Super, super nice guy. Like I just he like literally he sh- he shakes your hand when he meets you and then shakes your hand right before you leave too. So like it, and he did that to every it's single person in line. Every single person in line. The dude is like a just an absolute professional and he was like super. Yeah, he seemed like super nice and. uh he was like, yeah, he really dug the poster that uh, I had signed by from him. And yeah, it was really cool. I know we got a bunch of questions too, so I don't want to go like deep, even deeper into it, but shout out to everyone we met. Obviously, like we spent a lot of time with Cody and uh, Evan and Kate, Asa. Who am I missing? Anyone? Is that Chase, everyone? a little bit. And Chase. Yeah, Chase. So shout out to all of the listeners. Everyone was just Super cool, super nice. It was awesome to hang with everyone. I wish we spent more time with Ace and Kate. We only got to have lunch with them at 407, but everyone else was great. Definitely, how oh, Cody probably the most and Evan. Uh, they hung out in the hotel a lot and stuff like that. So it was great. Hopefully, more people. I plan on going back next year. I don't know about Steve. I know it's the whole ordeal for a lot more of a bigger ordeal for him, but I plan on going back next year and, uh, Hopefully Sam will be able to join me next year too. So hope to see more uh, everyone next year too. All right. You want to get into some what watch? Sure. What'd you watch on the plane? What's your first movie, Steve? So nothing on the plane. I watch non-horror stuff on the plane because I'm always paranoid about what people are like watching over my shoulder and stuff like that. But my first one is, so I decided to go with the Robert England, uh, you know, palette this weekend. Uh, so the first one is Eaten Alive, which is, I think, 1980. That's a uh, Toby... Oh, no, 76, I think. That's uh, Toby Hooper. So, of course, known for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This one is about a hotel owner who does not like his customers and basically kills them all and feeds them to a crocodile, not an alligator, a crocodile that is outside of his hotel. Uh, also stars Kyle Richards and a bunch of other people. Uh, Robert England plays like the town asshole, I guess you could say. Uh, the first scene is him trying to sleep with a prostitute and his uh, probably one of his more famous lines outside of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise where my name's Buck and I'm rearing the fuck. That's uh, basically his famous line out there. He says it a lot in the documentary as well. Uh, the movie is, I, I, I think I had seen this a long time ago because it did seem very familiar. I'm not 100% sure. It's it's not like great, I would say. It's very messy. Like you don't know what the fuck's going on. It makes no sense that this hotel owner is killing every single one of his customers. Like how the fuck does this hotel stay in business? I 
have no idea. It's it's just a really messy film. A lot of attempted rape, uh, which I, I'm not a particular fan of. A lot of animal cruelty as well. They're dead dogs and stuff like that. Uh, but it's got some of the great like early 80s, late 70s horror tropes, like a lot of kills, a lot of nudity. I think everyone that's of age uh, takes their top off in this one. And uh, it's just kind of you know somewhat fun, I guess, at times because of how ridiculous it is. I don't think it's one of the best, especially not uh, from Toby Hooper, but maybe worth watching in uh, honor of Robert England. So that's Eaten Alive 1976, which I watched over on, this was on Shudder. Nice. Uh, I only have one, so I'll go. I watched 2006 Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon for Robert England as well. And this one is a documentary about a serial up, up and coming serial killer. Where in this universe, all Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy, all of them are uh, real life people and they're, you know, legends in their towns and things like that. And there's people that emulate what they do. So this college student and her film crew, whatever, decide to go after Leslie Vernon, who's going to do a, a upcoming rampage and to shoot a documentary with him, like his motivation, how he finds his victims, how he kills them, how he sets up the kills, things like that. I really love the documentary aspect of this when we're with Leslie. And we're going around like his process and like, you know, why he works out and how he works out and how he sabotages potential weapons and how he chooses his victim, things like that. It's fantastic. However, it goes from documentary to straight slasher towards the end. And it just falls apart, in my opinion. Like it gets really sloppy. The slasher aspect is really lame. There's like, it goes from serious with the documentary to silly with some of the lines. Like there's just like, we're... I get that we're supposed to care for Leslie and the main girl, but then she has like her cameraman and we're supposed to care about him all of a sudden, which we've only seen him behind the scenes. And it's like, Leslie's going to kill him. He's like, no, Leslie, I love her. I'm like, bitch, who the fuck are you? Like, we haven't even, we don't even know who you are. So like I said, documentary aspect is really cool. And then the 20% or so of the slasher really brings this film down. I still uh, give it a three and a half out of five for the documentary stuff. And I think the sequel is finally getting made. So hopefully that comes out this year or next. Nice. Uh, all right. My first one tonight is 2023 release called Living with Chucky. Uh, you can watch this one over on Screenbox. I'm not sure if it's available anywhere else, but that's where I checked it out. This one is a documentary about essentially the, the entire Child's Play franchise. It's done by Kyra Gardner whose father, Tony Gardner, did a lot of the puppeteering and special effects. So it's kind of done from a sort of um, like her perspective. So it goes through like the entire franchise, like one by one. And then at the end, I would say about the last half hour, we start to see like her perspective of how she kind of grew up with the Child's Play franchise and what it was like, like sort of the family aspect of it. Yeah, overall, this one's done pretty well. If you're, you know, if you're a Chucky fan, you'll definitely enjoy this. Um, it's got interviews from pretty much all the major hitters in the franchise, you know, Brad Dorff, Fiona Dorff, Christina Lee. Even um, Billy Boyd's in there, Jennifer Tilly. So all the ones you pretty much want to hear from. I wish we could have heard from some of the other like sort of side characters, um, especially, you know, Chris Sarandon, Catherine Hicks, and especially, um, I'm sorry, Alex Vincent also in here, a big, big hitter. But one person I wish we did hear from was uh, the Andy in Child's Play 3, because they did touch on that quite a lot. It was really interesting. You got to hear kind of Alex Vincent's, uh, Alex Vincent's his thoughts like on like him not being able to come back for the third one and whatnot. And um, there's like a lot of great behind the scenes, like sh shots of them doing the puppeteering with Chucky, how that all worked. Um, there's really interesting stuff about 
Kevin Yeager and how um, he kind of got screwed basically because the studio didn't want to bring him back like because of money reasons and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great behind the scenes stuff in here. So I would, uh, if you're a fan of Chucky, I would definitely recommend it. I do think the last half hour, once we start gaining into sort of the family aspect of it, I think that could have most honestly probably been dropped, you know. Um, but other than that, I, I think it's it was pretty good. I gave it a three and a half uh, out of five on my letterbox. Uh, was Ed Gell in that one? No, Ed Gill is not in this one. Good. Not I, even a mention. Not even a mention no. of Ed Gill. The, the they, they had to cut him out then, I, I imagine, completely. Probably. I, you know, I don't I don't know because I feel like this got released before the whole Ed Gale stuff got, you know, dropped. But who knows? I mean, these people were deep into it, so they might have known like a Maybe. little something about it. Yeah. I mean, they mentioned that they used, you know, little people in the original child's plays. And then once, you know, the puppeteering got better, they they used they didn't have to anymore so so my uh, last one this week is a uh, another robert england film from 1989 the phantom of the opera so i watched this one specifically because they have a complete segment about it in the documentary that uh, we have the interview for and it's one that you know i think a lot of people especially in the uh, late 80s early 90s would recognize the cover because People would think it's a Nightmare on Elm Street film when you looked at it at like a video store when it really isn't. So this is pretty much the same story as the Phantom of the Opera that you all know love, except with a little bit of a twist where this uh, singer is going to an audition in modern times. And then all of a sudden, as she's done her audition, one of the uh, like sandbags that are holding up whatever above the stage falls and hits her in the face and she flies back into a mirror which brings her back into time of when uh, the Phantom of the Opera story takes place. And the story from there kind of plays out the same way where uh, this kind of creature slash man is obsessed with this young singer, her, and a bunch of people are trying to stop him, which leads him to try to kill them all and to get her affection. Uh, not too far of a deviation from the story. They specifically say in the documentary that the like the title cover where he looks like Freddy is misleading because he doesn't look like that at all in the movie but I don't think that's true I think there are some scenes in here where he actually looks like Freddy and I don't think it's that misleading that they use that cover now for a big portion of it he has like skin stitched on so look he looks more human but there's there's a lot of like grotesque looks as well i think the makeup is actually really done well done in this so that's something that i liked and it's got a weird twist ending which i don't want to give away i know it's a movie from like fucking you know 30 years ago but i think it's one that people maybe haven't checked out they pr probably know the cover but haven't actually watched the actual movie so if you can find it i know it's not really streaming anywhere it's a tough find but if you can find it i recommend at least checking it out i gave it two and a half stars out of five so yeah, Phantom of the Opera, 1989. Very nice. Uh, all right, well, the last one tonight, me and Steve can both talk on this, as it is um, what our interview is attached with, and that is Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story. Um, this movie goes really in-depth uh, over Robert England's entire career. Um, we start at the very, very beginning um, from his first movie and go all the way up to stranger things you know and they I, whenever you 
see something with Robert England, you're expecting it to be 99% Nightmare on Elm Street. This movie is not that. You get everything and you get everything Robert England, you know, which is great. Like, if you know, I learned uh, quite a lot uh, watching this stuff I'd never known before. But we, I mean, they go through just about every single movie and they, some stuff, some they focus on more than others, obviously, but you know, just really great stuff. Robert England basically is in almost a hundred percent of this movie, but there's also a lot of great other celebrity interviews in here as well. Um, you get, you know, Lance Henriksen, uh, Lynn Shay, his, I think maybe some of the most interesting stuff is his wife. His wife is in this quite a lot as well. We find out, you know, how they met their sort of love story, which was cool too. So, I mean, if you are a Robert England fan, which I think most of us are, this is one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. I thought it was fantastic. I give it a four out of five, maybe even a four and a half. Uh, I, I, you know, it's I'm right there on the edge, but uh, just a, a fantastic documentary, and I, I highly, highly recommend this. Yeah, I agree with all that. It, it's really, really well done. You learn a lot about Robert England, the the person, as opposed to kind of Robert England as Freddy. And it's it's really insightful into a lot of things into his career, explains how he got started, why he picked certain roles. And anyone who's seen anything with Robert England know that uh, he's a really like well-spoken person. Like he tells stories really well and he's very knowledgeable about the history of film and cinema and culture. And it's really uh, a delight to hear him talk and tell his story. And it's a uh, it's a great documentary. Like I, it's one of my favorite things that I watched this year. Kudos to the team who put it together because when you hear the interview, you'll find out that it was kind of cobbled together because of like COVID and uh, restrictions with the actors and stuff like that. It's a uh, kind of impressive of what came out of this uh, production. So absolutely one that people should check out once it's released. I think it's on June 6th and uh, yeah, fantastic documentary all around. I also gave it four out of five. Do we know where that's going? What uh, what platform? That's a good question. I want to say Screenbox. Screenbox. But it, it could be Shutter. I'm not 100% on that. It might just be VOD at first, too. Um, it could yeah. be. It could be. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a great one to check out. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it definitely is. I, I, you know, we get a lot of these screeners, and for the most part, as you guys hear our reviews, most aren't great, but this one a million percent worth your time you really get uh, they go really in depth into england and i was very surprised there's some great stuff in here and stuff like i said just really stuff like this especially like without spoiling anything like there's the whole thing about star wars which we talk about in the interview which was like super interesting and a whole bunch of other stuff but yeah definitely check this one out yeah for sure and uh once you do check it out i think that you should bring one, one of your friends go over have a nice cup of coffee and there's no better way to do that than at Deadly Grounds Coffee. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. All right, let's get ready for trivia. 
All right, the scores are as follows for quarter number two. Myself, Todd, leading in 20 with 22 points. Steve uh, in the rear, second place, 19. Joe, 16. There was a point addition. Joe and Steve both got one extra point, so their last total instead of three each was four each because they got it at the exact same time, according to the guy that edits the podcast. All right. I, I gave Joe so, a point, too. It's not like I just gave myself Yeah, but a he's point. down. He's in third place. That's so like a pity point. No, it's all good. All right, who would like to lead off today? I'll go. So not too surprisingly, all my questions this week are Robert England uh, themed questions. Uh, however, unfortunately, there will be no uh, IMDb parental guide this week. It'll come back next week. These are all regular questions because I thought they were interesting. So the first, so Joe has a bit of an advantage. Joe, he I listened, know he's got the advantage. Look at he listened to the documentary. First he gets a point. Jeez. How long was that documentary, by the way? Uh, like an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. Not like the Crystal Lake Memories is fucking 10 hours. No, right? no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which other horror classic did Robert England work on, but only behind the scenes? Halloween. Correct. Thank you. What do you, what do, you do in Halloween? He was a set decorator tasked with throwing leaves around to make it more like fall. <laughs> cool gig. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Jeez. So, you going to get you Robert England on a Halloween poster? <laughs> <laughs> you could you yeah. could that could be interesting all right i will go next all my questions are also fucking wrong. collusion man <laughs> <literally>. <laughs> all right question number one what is the name of the famous will smith fresh prince song about the freddy krueger character oh fuck i have no clue uh what was it fuck it now I feel I need to re revise one of my questions. The Prince of it was something like uh, Ohio, Springwood. Uh, it was like Nightmare on like My Street. That is correct. Yes. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Look at this <laughs> bullshit. All right. Four clues. Each clue is one word. Clue number one: bat. Clue number two: hot. Clue number three, car. Oh, wait. I know this. Oh, you want clue number four? No, I don't. Well, then Near dark. Incorrect. <laughs> so we have bat, hot, car, and clue number four is barking. Cujo. Oh. Cujo yeah. is correct. That is, yep. Should have waited. Should have waited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> What is the name of Robert England's rap oh, song? <laughs> or who did he collab with on that song? Will Smith. Will Smith. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> Robert England is actually in this song, whereas oh. uh, he wasn't on the last one. So he actually like raps in this one. Uh, God, I can't remember the name. Robert England is raps it... in this one? He does. The fat... oh, is it God. the Fat Boys? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you, you pieces of shit with your fucking. <laughs> it's "Are You Ready for Freddy" by the Fat Boys. Yeah, featuring that, Robert England. Is that as terrible as it sounds? It's pretty bad. It's on the uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street like four, I'd say, oh, soundtrack or something. <laughs> That's hilarious. Alrighty. Funny that Joe and nope. I went into the same category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right, number two, match the Robert England character to the movie. Okay. And the character is. William Wexler. That's 2001 Maniacs. Incorrect. That is, um, I believe it's uh, Leslie Vernon. 
Incorrect. Fuck me, dude. Can I try, try one more? I'll give you guys one more. Yeah. What was the guy's name again? William Wexler. It's uh, Wexler. is it uh, evil character? Urban Legends. It is Urban Legends. Yes. Incorrect. It's Urban Legend, not Legends. Legends. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> All right, Todd. Okay. Uh, from my friend Brent, he has three letterbox reviews. Clue number one: the hillbilly chugging Pepto Bismol is me. Oh wait, one second. I just watched something where someone is chugging Pepto Bismol. Um, that does sound vaguely familiar. God, I like just just watched something where someone was chugging Pepto Bismol. What was it? I don't know. Fuck. Keep moving. Yeah, I keep number going. two. When you order the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Wish.com. Ooh. And clue number three. The greatest pride of any Kentuckian is not being a West Virginian. Hmm. Oof. I got nothing. Nothing. Uh, great. What was that last one? The greatest pride? The the greatest pride of any Kentuckian is not being a West Virginian. Not 2001 Maniacs. Incorrect. Give up, Joe? Yeah. The answer is wrong turn. Oh. Mm. Uh, that was in one of the, what I was watching. I don't know what it was. No. You watched that like four years ago. Yeah. All right. Final question. In a plot twist, because of a question that Joe and I had the same one, <laughs> guess the movie based off the IMDb parental guide. Oh. Okay. Which I'm like pulling out right on my ass right now. So, <laughs> first one. In a very brief scene, sex and nudity, by the way. In a very brief scene during the prologue, a woman with her top open and both breasts exposed partially runs towards the camera. No nudity in this scene. Okay. Gra- uh, violence and gore. Graphic. Nasty violence including a skeleton bursting out of a man's body, a gory shooting, a guy's jaw getting ripped off, a man gruesomely dying from cancer, and other multiple grisly horror moments. Wow. I like your voice, too. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing? No, nothing. Profanity. Occasional F-bombs throughout. One seam has around 10 F-bombs within 15 seconds. Oh. Lots of fucking going on. <laughs> alcohol, drugs, and smoking. A dock worker is seen pouring alcohol into a coffee cup. The character is later referred to as Drunken Swine. And finally, frightening and intense scenes. The movie is loaded with many gory and gross-out moments, and despite the darkly comedic nature of some of it, many may be disturbed. I'm going to go with the first thing that popped in my mind, although it's wrong. Freddy 2. Wrong. I'm going to go It's called Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) 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 Uh, No, it's not not Hatchet either. You guys want one more guess? Exploding skeleton. It should be like a giveaway. Um... I mean, there is an skeleton in Nightmare four but i don't recall some of that other stuff i'll say nightmare four sure uh, halloween three season of the witch wrong so what we were looking for was wishmaster wishmaster uh, oh okay damn it well all right well 
also a plot twist because I'm pulling one out of my ass as well right now because me and Steve had the same exact trivia question. So Robert Brake, uh, I'm sorry, Robert England got his first <laughs> break. <laughs> <laughs> Robert England got his big break on what sci-fi television series? V, Outer Limits. V is correct. V, damn. Yes. Nice. Damn, Steve's out of nowhere the past <laughs> three weeks. Yeah, I've been, I've been on fire for a little while. Jeez. All right. Four letterbox thingies. Actually, three. Clue number one. The real horror was their business model. Clue number two. 90 minutes of found footage cliches set to a spooky Halloween sounds from the CD section from Party City. Clue number three. I am such a slut for good clown jump scares. Haunt? Incorrect. All Hallows Eve? Incorrect. Correct answer is... You guys want one more guess? Sure. Uh, sure. Um, so the real horror was their business model. 90 minutes of found footage cliche set to a spooky Halloween soundtrack from Party City. I am such a slut for good clown jump scares. Oh, yeah. um, um, what's the name of the fucking thing? Then? The um, house is October built. Incorrect. No, the other one. Uh, <laughs> what's it called, though? I know it. Uh, oh, for Five. fuck's sake. I won't take it because I already Four. guessed twice, but I think I know it. Three. Two. I don't remember. Hell House LLC. Yeah, were correct. Yeah. <laughs> no points, though. Yeah, that, <laughs> nah, that, that's why I had in mind. I just couldn't remember the name. <laughs> All right. Good night for Steve. Four, Joe, two, myself, zero, which brings us to a new leader. Steve in the lead with 23 points. Myself, 22. Joe, third, 18. It is heating up. I'm shitting the bed. Joe and Steve are fucking tearing it up. Oh, my gosh. Collusion? Question mark? Stay tuned. We'll I was out. down 15 to five. Investigated like, journalism? Four weeks ago. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hack your computers to see what you guys are screen sharing, probably. All right, review time. 2001 Maniacs from 2005, directed by Tim Sullivan. You are what they eat. On their way to spring break, college kids take a detour through an old southern town. The people of Pleasant Valley insist that the kids stay for their annual barbecue celebration. But instead of getting a taste of the Old South, the Old South gets a taste of them. So a uh, group of students are on a road trip towards, I think it was California, and they're being assholes they stop at a store they're being total jerks about it kind of messing with the locals uh, they see another car also of students going to california and they're like trying to get with them and trying to party with them and stuff so they continue their road trip and all of a sudden there's a big sign that says that there's a detour so they take the detour and it leads them into this random town of what's it called pleasant pleasant valley yeah, yeah pleasant valley Pleasant Valley. So, and there's a big party like waiting for them as if they won some kind of contest uh, where they get to party at uh, Pleasant Valley and go to their little festival that they call the uh, Guts and Gore Jamboree or something like that. So, it, yeah, so they decide to stay there. Meanwhile, the other car that was there is also pulling in because they got stopped at the same um, detour and also a motorcycle with a Black man and an Asian woman are also brought together, uh, brought there, which is not pleasing to the mayor of this town, played by Robert England, because he is a Confederate lover, I guess you could say. Sympathizer? Sympath Something. Yeah, sympathizer. Well, he, he is. Reenactor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah reenactor. 
And I, he's like, kind of like, okay, wait, that's not what we wanted in this town. But they invite him in anyway, show their Southern hospitality. And then the story kind of plays out where they realize that this is not a fun loving party as they were led to believe. These are actually people who are starting to pick them off one by one by murdering them in pretty gruesome ways and in uh, various different styles and with a little plot twist at the end. So what did you guys think of 2001 Maniacs? Yeah, I, I've i never seen the original with uh, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis's, so had no idea what to expect with this one. And this one sort of played out how I thought it was going to, because like I knew it was like a sort of straight-to-DVD type movie from the early 2000s, and it definitely feels that way. You know, it definitely has that sort of vibe going for it. Not really well acted per se, although I do think there are some standout performances by uh, Granny Boone, played by Lynn Shay, and then the mayor, Robert England. I think they're definitely the two best. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like a pretty fun movie, like overall, you know, it has its, it definitely has its moments. There's actually surprisingly some great kills and great gore in here. This movie is horny as hell, man. Like everyone is just wanting constantly, like pretty much every scene, it's just someone wanting to fuck something or someone, you know, you even have the guy just trying to fuck a sheep the entire movie. Um, you know, just some really weird shit in here. But I mean, there's a ton of nudity, a ton of horny college students. So yeah, I mean, it's like your very typical, prototypical horror movie. I do think it has a pretty strong twist because I did not see the twist coming really at the end. I knew there was some weird supernatural stuff sort of happening, but I wasn't expecting to go where it went, which I know we'll get into later. But overall, it was fine. Like, you know, I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't think it was very good either. So it's very middle of the road. Yeah, I originally saw this one when it released. I've said the story before, but um, I was at a weekend of horrors hosted by fangoria convention in around 05 and they had the entire cast here minus robert england and after they did a panel everyone did a free signing so lynn shea giuseppe andrews all the every cast member was there so i got like every eight by ten signed for free giuseppe andrews uh signed his with he he drew boobs on his eight by ten and handed it over um he's a very interesting guy um, his performance is pretty good in this. I think it's the writing, though, that is pretty awful. Like, you, you can't help but deliver some of these lines a little bit awkwardly. Uh, Lin Shea is a treat. Also, too, if you're you're offended easily, this one's not going to be one you're going to want to watch. I mean, for God's sake, Robert England has a Confederate flag eye patch. When the Asian female gets there, he calls her a Chinaman, and then she, re- she you know, responds with, no, China woman, something like that. So there's a lot of, like blatantly racist stuff underlying racist stuff like that so like i said if you get offended easily skip it but there are some cool gore gags which joe mentioned my favorite being the spear up the butt and yeah it's just one of those like average movies but i didn't hate it you know what i mean yeah that's kind of where i'm at with it as well it's like an average movie but it's entertaining you know because you never knew what the fuck was going to happen next because this movie is just all over the place. I mean, right at the beginning, we're treated with this delight of a line. I eat peanuts out of her shit. <laughs> you know, so because, uh, <laughs> like, like Joe said, that's all they fucking want in this movie is people trying to get laid with their cousins, their pigs, their 
you know, older people, younger people. It's like no one gives a shit. In Doesn't this town. matter. Just, Straight, gay. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that's this. right. Yeah, dude, everyone gets fucked. You know, yeah. at uh, in this place. Thankfully, no children involved. Despite children being in this town, thank God they didn't go that far. But uh, still, a lot of really gross shit. Like the pig Jezebel. You know, got it good one night. Unfortunately, uh, there's animal cruelty in this, which I'm not a big fan of. Particularly, they uh, kill a cat in a pretty gruesome way, which I didn't love, but. It's nothing like overly crazy. It's not like watching um, Hannibal call it Han- Hannibal Holocaust. My God, Hannibal, Hannibal. Holocaust. <laughs> I'm so goddamn tired. Tired. Can- <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust or anything. You know, it's 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 cartoony gore. Um, I'd seen this before, probably around the time that it came out, and I remember it being a lot worse, like racism wise and stuff like that. But everyone kind of gets their digs in. You know, it's not just kind of the black guy or the Asian woman, the Southern people also get kind of their stereotypes put into there. So it's not like crazily racist, I think. I think they could have gone a lot worse and I'm happy they didn't. They didn't focus on that all too much. There are a couple lines that are questionable, but it's it's really not that bad. A lot of nudity as well. So that kind of brings it, gives it that, you know, 80s, early 90s feel, even though it's uh, in 2005. Although some of the nipple pasties were a little too obvious. Like, I wish they covered that up a little bit because it kind of ruins the illusion, (laughs) in my opinion. But yeah, some great kills as well. You know, there there are like no two kills that are alike in this. They really found creative ways to kill everyone. And that's something I'll always appreciate watching uh, movies like this. And uh, yeah, it's a a solid, fun, one-time watch, you know, I'd say. Yeah, and I guess this is in the same universe as Cabin Fever because we we're treated to um, what's the uh, Eli Roth makes a, a cameo oh, no. with yeah. the what is the dog's name, Mister Magatu um, or something like that uh, or something. I forget. Damn, I, can't, I can't place it now. I can't remember the dog's name, but right when you see the dog, I was like, wow, this is so. This is the exact same character. That was like a fun little Easter egg. I'm assuming Eli Roth must have produced this movie or something like that. So yeah, that was like a fun little uh, Mister Mambo. Egg. Yeah, that sounds that sounds dogs. right. Yeah, so that was a fun little But yeah, I think the kills are, are definitely a standout here for a movie that clearly didn't have a huge budget. Um, and actually, in the Robert England doc, he does they do get a decent little uh, thing on this movie in it with Lynn Shay talking about it as well. But yeah, I mean, for a movie that obviously didn't have a big budget, I thought the kills were were great. Like especially the horse quartering was probably my favorite with the probably the acid uh ingestion ingesting probably my second favorite but yeah there, i mean like steve said there there's no really uh you know stale nothing is ever stale they always are doing something and ramping up the kills and making it uh fun one way or the other so that's definitely the best i agree though like i you know when you're dealing with stuff to do with the confederacy and the south and stuff you're afraid of how it is going to go especially when you bring in you know minority characters but i don't think i think they did do a good job of not going too dark and deep into that and they tried to keep everything as light-hearted as possible you know with obviously some questionable lines here and there i think probably you know and obviously this movie hasn't aged well you know i don't think a movie like this would fly nowadays but it, it definitely could have been they definitely could have made it a, a lot worse any any um urge to watch the sequel field of screams which i have never seen no one, to be honest with you <laughs> yeah. is, does anyone I, I, I actually i saw it it's on Tubi. like i think it, it it popped up on my thing after i finished it and i was like 
no, I don't need to see a sequel, <laughs> quite honestly. Like, I mean, I think this was like enough. And I, I saw like the review, the uh, 1. the 7. rating on IMDb was fuck, or I don't even know what it was on Letterboxd, but on IMDb it was like a three, and this one was like a five point three. So I'm like, oh yeah, it must. I mean, yeah. it must be uh, way fucking more. How was it? You saw it? I no, I never saw it. Bill Mosley no. plays okay. the mayor, and Lynn Shea plays Granny Boone. Still, they but couldn't get as, England back. <laughs> no, as far as the original goes, 2000, 2000 Maniacs. It's like, I you don't have to see it. It's not good. I think this this one's Is better. It's similar in any way. Yeah, it's like the exact same setup. Okay, you know, they go to a racist town and kill people. I'm assuming um, everyone's not as horny in the original. No, not not as. No. <laughs> Does a pillow get fucked in the original? I don't, I don't recall any pillow banging. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something he de- definitely skip. I mean, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis is an acquired taste anyway. You know, mm-hmm. like Wizard of Gore, I think is his as well. Which I don't know. I think you gotta like really be into that style of film. I'm not really. What about the? I like. <laughs> I always find it funny that the uh, the gay character uh, before he hooks up with the guy makes him do push-ups in the room, and <laughs> like he's timing them. I think that's a funny scene. And then the girl performing oral sex with like like steel. T- Teeth. yes yes that was interesting yeah <laughs> yeah I, I mean that was cool like and like i said i mean we get like the supernatural stuff like i went towards the end when like england's eye patch comes up and all the maggots start falling out of his eye i'm like what the fuck is going on here um and then we get to the twist which i mean i don't know if you guys want to jump into that yet well, or not i just want but... to say it's interesting so I, I fell asleep the first time i watched it but that was more because i was tired from uh, texas frightmare than anything and i woke up with her with the you know the teeth in and I thought it was a supernatural element, but when right. I rewatched it this morning, the guy says a line like, "What are you putting your retainer in or something?" So mm-hmm. the teeth were actually, were actually supernatural. It's just a thing right. that she puts in her mouth to, you know, eat his dick. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, so yeah, so, so there aren't actually a lot of supernatural elements. They don't really hint mm-hmm. to the end right. uh, up until, like you said, when uh, Robert England's character loses his eye patch and maggots start falling out of his. Uh, out of his head that's pretty much when i think the supernatural stuff really started to rear its head yeah i thought the town was cool like too i I liked like the set the whole setup of it like i liked how it was kind of deep out in the woods and stuff like that it seemed like it was all practical obviously i think they built it i think they talk about that in the documentary the england documentaries that they built it all practical which was really cool it gave like an a really sort of authentic feel to it yeah and I, i just I loved the cannibal eating stuff. Yeah. I, li- I like when they're at one point when they're eating the one girl and you see her tattoo, like when yeah, he's biting so into it. And huge, <laughs> huge continuity error that I noticed in that scene. So they specifically show that it they're eating her ass, you know, her because the tattoos on her ass. But in the next scene, you see uh, in like the morning after, after that fucking sex montage they had, uh, you see the kind of cooks preparing all the bodies and her body is still intact on the table. So unwatchable. It, yeah, I'm telling you, these <laughs> just uh, unbelievable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that was a big continuity there. But other than that, I mean, it's a low budget film. You know, it's just it, well, it's not bad for a low budget film, honestly. Other than that, uh, and some of the CGI was completely unneeded. It was so obvious because it's like that you could literally see the after effects that they put on top of you know whatever that they're doing. You know, like um, Robert England's eye, for example. You could see right. that it's a uh, after effects shot that they put over his real eye it's just it looked like shit just fucking don't do it if you're gonna do it that way favorite town character that isn't lynch i don't think any of them really stand out honestly like besides uh 
Granny Boone and uh, England is the mayor. I, there's no one else that's that really jumps out at me. I guess the lesbian cousins um, that were kissing yeah. at one point. Oh, yeah. And he's and the kid starts kind of watching. They're like, yeah, you can watch. And he starts jerking off. And they're like, ew, you're just a pig. You're <laughs> disgusting. And he's like, what? You know, the, like they're the two of them kind of stick. And well, I guess Giuseppe Andrews, just because I, I love him as an actor. Yeah. I, um, would, I, I would love for him to, you know, come back to filmmaking, whatever he's yeah. He's doing he's he's pretty great mm-hmm. yeah i don't think any of them really stood out uh, a question i don't know if you guys know this but did they dub over some of them because some of their voices didn't really match what the actor looked like now i'm not judging them maybe that is their real voice maybe it's just they had to dub them over because of sound issues i'm not sure but some of those voices did not seem to match the actors that were playing them Maybe it's just poor ADR. After, it could, after it could, that's it could what be. I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking either poor ADR or they really—it's possible they could have really hated the actors' accents and they felt like it wasn't southern enough, so they they did dub them over. It's possible. Honestly, I didn't really notice it too much, but I also uh, wasn't like super. I, I especially like, noticed on uh, the kid that does the final kill. Mm-hmm. Like it just—it seemed unnatural for him. I don't know. It's it's possible. Like I'm not judging him, but it just mm-hmm. seemed off to me. Get you. So did you? I mean, let's. I guess we can get into the end. Um. So did you guys ever pick up on that? You know, they were ghosts. So what we come? They end up escaping. They go to the police. The guy goes back. We go back to Pleasant Valley with the police, and we come to find out Pleasant Valley is a cemetery now, and they can these. This Confederate town was, I think, attacked during the Confederate War. And they all died in a massacre on that ground on that day. And essentially every year they come back and do this sort of jubilee where they, you know, take their sort of revenge, I guess it is. Or I I don't really know why they do it every year. I guess it's just to kill people for because they were massacred. I don't I, I thought it was a great little twist and one I didn't see coming personally. Yeah, so that they can, like, eye for an eye, so they can kill 2,001 more people to kind of, you know, be even, I guess, with the North, which is what they were kind of saying in uh, the little speech there. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't see the twist coming at all. I didn't personally love it. I thought it was kind of a little bit dumb. Uh, I guess it made sense in the context of the movie because the very first scene is a teacher essentially teaching about you know confederacy and everything like that so it doesn't make sense that they were kind of still there uh, but i don't know it was just a little odd to me and then to have one of them kind of still around even though the place has returned to a cemetery like it was a cool unexpected moment but at the same time i was like okay this really doesn't make sense but, i don't know it was fine you know at least they gave it gave it it was something different that you know that they offered yeah, it's pretty interesting. I wonder if that plays into the sequel because it's not it doesn't take place in that town again. So like are they traveling ghosts? Like they have they're very powerful to create like all this shit and buildings and like dances and shit and food that people can eat and like this is some really powerful ghosts. Maybe they should do something different, but not to mention the ingenuity of these buildings. Like uh yeah. when they crushed that one guy the entire building has to be like fucking spun around. So it acts like a big, uh, like screw. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Call it ghostbusters. Right. Steve, you need to watch part two. 
yeah I, I, I didn't see it pop up but they only uh, popped up 2000 2000 maniacs when i watched this i don't know if it's available here or not but if it's there i think i'll check it out just to find out you know what's yes. going on all right any final words before we rate it no all right i'm gonna stick with a two and a half out of five it's serviceable it's average right in the middle yeah, took the serviceable. That's the best I think thing to say about this. It's you know it's exactly what you expect from a early to mid two thousands straight to DVD horror movie. You know you're gonna get some good kills here and there, not great acting, a lot of TNA. You know, and I mean honestly, with if Lynch and Robert England isn't in this and they're two lesser actors, this probably would be forgettable but they definitely rise it up a little bit, but uh, I give it a two and a half out of five as well. Same thing. Two and a half. You know, it's like uh, I enjoyed a one-time watch, but it's nothing. I would probably check out again, but I did this the second time I watched it. So I guess every 15 years is my threshold for watching this. Uh, but yeah. It's not a terrible watch. You know, it's, it's entertaining. I never knew what, what was going to come next, even though I've seen it. And uh, I just don't, wouldn't watch it again. Yeah. I have the DVD, so I'll eventually oh, yeah. watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. You guys want to get to the questions of the week? Sure. You can ask us those questions on social media at the Horror Squad Podcast or on our Discord, where amazing people, like we said, we met quite a few of them over the weekend, and they were all like great A people. Like, I really enjoyed hanging out with them. It's a great time. So, the first one comes to us on Twitter. It's from Horror Fan Ryan. Best performance from Robert England, excluding Freddie, of course. Ooh, tough one. He's done a lot, obviously, but I think most, I think it's his most recent probably as Victor Creel in Stranger Things. It was like a really short performance, but it was really important to the whole series. And I thought he, he killed it in that role. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Shoot, you know, I'll, I'll stick with Leslie Vernon because it's a small role as well. I, you know, I think that's the key here is that we've all commented that he's not the greatest actor outside of Freddy, but he, in small doses, he seems to really shine. So I'll do Leslie Vernon. He plays the uh, vengeful psychiatrist that's trying to kill Leslie. So like, you know, the Halloween angle. Yeah, I'm going to pick one that a lot of people don't talk about. It's uh, his role in the Lake Placid sequels. He plays kind of this... Uh, southern hunter and he's actually really fun in it i really like that character he appears in like two or three of them and it's a blast like he doesn't get credit for that one i never hear people talk about him in lake placid and uh it's an enjoyable role so that's what i'm gonna say next series of questions are from patty what's your favorite movie from him from robert england I mean, not probably original Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, yeah. to be to be as unoriginal as possible. <laughs> I mean, you look at his filmography, that's his best film. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll go original Nightmare as well. See, my favorite one is part three, but I think the best one is the first one. So, mm-hmm. you know, take it for what it is. But uh, I just enjoy watching part three more than uh, part one. Um, her next question, which one do you think made the biggest impact on his career? So let's go outside of Freddy, obviously, right? Which of his movies do you think, if he had not made Nightmare on Elm Street, would be the one he'd be known for? I don't know. I mean, you guys watched the the doc. What do you? Was there something that jumped out, or from his perspective that that he mentioned that wasn't nightmare related? 
I mean, that's most of the documentaries about his non-nightmare films, you know, because they had already focused on that. Which one made the most, the biggest impact though, is tough to say, like a lot, you know, maybe Eden Alive would have been his legacy because there are some memorable moments in it. You know, it would be kind of a cult film now because it's a Toby Hooper film. Uh, I just don't know what else would have made his career other than that. And even then it wouldn't be a big career. Just be like, oh yeah, it's that guy from those multiple movies, you know? Joe, what do you think uh, Robert England's most impactful film would have been had he not made Nightmare on Elm Street? I honestly don't think it's a film. I mean, it's probably V. Like people loved that television series. It was very popular. And he even talks about the documentary. That's like what got him like sort of recognized like outside, like people actually wanting to meet him, get his autograph and stuff like that. So I'd go with V. Awesome. Uh, have you guys ever watched V? No, I've not. Yeah. I watch it with my dad. So <laughs> I, I have seen it. It wasn't great, to be honest. Uh, all right. Next series of questions are from Odd Job versus 007. That is Cody who we got to spend a lot of time with at uh, Texas Frightmare. Great dude. Who's your favorite person to meet at Frightmare? Yeah, I'm, I met a lot. I knocked out, got a lot of autographs added to that poster. Very excited. I'd say Sam Raimi was definitely, I think, my favorite when I look back on interactions and stuff. But Bonnie Ahrens, also, who played Valak, she was like super cool, super nice as well. Everyone was cool, though. Everyone was really cool. Keith, I met Keith David, who was awesome. Um, so the Frank of the Beans. <laughs> yeah, I got something nope signed for Sam, so she, that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, everyone was great. I had zero like bad interactions. Like I said, Carpenter and uh, Savini are just sort of there, but they're not like rude, you know. They're just sort of sort of there. So yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I guess yeah, I would say Bonnie uh, after after Ramy. Yeah, seeing Bonnie Aarons was such a thrill for me. And it took me about five seconds at getting at the con. Like she checked in right behind me. <laughs> so I saw Bonnie Aarons like immediately. Uh, Sam Raimi, because I'm such a big fan of his work, was such a huge thrill. Uh, as far as just like interactions with people, uh, Nick Castle, I had a great interaction with, but it was kind of quick. But one that I actually got to talk to quite a bit, which is interesting to people who listen to this show, is Charles Band and uh, Robin Sidney who is Kendra from Barbie and Kendra and also star of all eight evil bong films. Uh, honestly, they were in a delight, like both of them super, super nice. I got to talk to Charles Band for a bit about evil bong and like, you know, just full moon in general. Uh, same thing with, uh, with Robin is yeah. I was glad I got to meet him because, you know, it like restored my respect for them, even though I don't love what they're doing in recent years. Uh, I I have mad respect for for them, and they were super super chill. Next question: What was your favorite experience at Frightmare? I I think just hanging out with like everyone, probably the four seven barbecue. Like that was awesome, being able to just kind of hang with everyone, all of our say, but Steve and our and our listeners. It was it was, it was awesome. It's great time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, one moment I do want to single out though outside of 407 barbecue and hang out with everyone so joe was passed out and uh, uh, cody and i went downstairs to the bar and had a couple drinks and had food and stuff like just like finger food and i was facing the bar where i was sitting and i had cody in front of me and right behind him 
was Bonnie Aaron's absolutely plastered <laughs> interacting with James Hughes Courtney and uh, Nick Castle. And it was just so cool to see them kind of just having fun and just being crazy. And then we had uh, Richard Masur, I think that's his name, from The Thing next to us. And then we had uh, Alex Winter not too far away, Naomi Grossman. I got to see Andrew Divoff. It's just like, it was, it was like 50-50 celebrities and people who are not celebrities at that bar when I was there with Cody. It was just so crazy because I'm thinking as I'm sitting there like, oh my God, here's the nun talking to two Michael Myers and I have Bill and I have fucking the dad from Encino Man and the you know, the, just like my mind was going to all these different places and it's a very unique experience and shout out to a lot of the people like the attendants of Texas Frightmare because there were a lot. I didn't see celebrities get bothered at all at the hotel. People were super chill about it. They wouldn't go for autographs. They wouldn't take their pictures. They wouldn't bother them. They kind of just left them be. If they're interact, if you're interacted with and you answer, but people were just letting them be kind of human, you know, outside of the con. And that is fuck. Not a lot of cons could say that because I'm sure if you went to a comic con, people would be bombarded with, you know, shit. So kudos to everyone who attended. And his last question Outside of horror, what movie would you like to see Robert England in? I got nothing. <laughs> throw, throw him in Star Wars. I was Ooh. just gonna say they throw everyone in Star Wars at this point. Marvel, fuck it. Sure. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good idea. Like put him in a superhero Marvel movie. He'd be cool. He could be like a maybe not the main villain, but sort of like, be like the janitor, like something. <laughs> <laughs> Named Freddy. And he works at the school, X-Men school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Next uh, question are from uh, I Eat Your Cookie. That's Evan, who we also got to spend a lot of time with at Frightmare. Was this year's Frightmare better or worse due to the new venue? So that's to you, Joe. Yeah, 100, 100% better, I would say. Yeah, I'd, there was really no negatives for me. The only negative would be I do miss a bit of the charm of it being in the hotel. It just sort of had a more... Fan, like small tight-knit family feel whereas like being in the convention center kind of gave it a more commercialized feel but other than that everything else was better man like just not having people on top of your ass the heat the smell everything and like it was everything else was better awesome and his other question what was your favorite cosplay that you saw Ooh, great question. There was uh, an amazing thing cosplay. Um, I got my picture with it. I don't know if I posted it in the Discord or not, but that guy was fucking, he looked amazing. So that that one definitely sticks out. Yeah, I actually took that picture and I would agree. I thought that was the best uh, cosplay. Actually, he won the cosplay contest uh, at the con and he also won the uh, vehicle contest with the thing vehicle because they had like these vehicles lined up outside the convention center. So he won both. So congratulations to that dude. Uh, but also, I have to say, I finally got to see Joe's three uh, characters. He, he was the Creeper, Art the Clown, and McCready. And they were all amazing uh, cosplays to see in person. And people really loved them. I, I got to follow him around as people, like, helping people take pictures with him. And yeah, people really dug those costumes. It, it was awesome. Uh, next ones are from our buddy Eric. Being that Freddy is the main slasher that talks... What's your favorite one-liner of his that isn't "Welcome to Primetime, Bitch"? I I always enjoyed "How's this for a wet dream?" Nice. 
Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Doesn't he say like want some head or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> That's just your <laughs> thoughts. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> want to suck face? That's what I was thinking of. You want to yeah. suck face? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Freddy guy here. Well, uh, one that made me laugh is uh, how neat. Some head. <laughs> <laughs> how neat dark meat, which was a nice callback in uh, Freddy vs. Jason. So. <laughs> That's one that always stood out to me. Uh, next question. Physically, Freddy is very similar to Jim Carrey as Riddler or The Mask. Given his few serious roles, I think Carrey could have pulled off Freddy well. So do you think Jim Carrey could have pulled a good Freddy? Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's just a great actor, right? So yeah. I think he could do really anything asked of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knows how to tone it, when to tone it down, which... I think is great. You know, a lot of actors, they, they're like full, full throttle for all their roles. Whereas he like, he knows when to tone it down and that's what makes him such a great actor. How about Bill Skarsgård? He's already done Pennywise. Great. He has like the, he's pretty tall. Mm-hmm. He's like used to kind of doing stuff behind the makeup. I think he, he could really nail it. I agree. I think so. Yeah. He's in, I just watched John Wick four and he was really good in it as a villain. He's a good actor, man. He's a good actor in everything. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. All right, Eric's final question. If England had hung up the glove after one or two movies, who do you think could have pulled off the role throughout the years? They would have had some random like they do with every other slasher character. Right. Nightmare on Elm Street was already pretty big. So do you think they would have given a bigger role? I don't think so, because they're always trying to save money, right? Right. So I think they would have just got some random young younger dude to yeah, like a, I don't that think... fit the body mold, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they would have found I, I don't know if they would have found like a big actor to 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 get him. I kind of agree with Todd on that one. But he could have obviously went on to become iconic like Freddie. You know, it's interesting, right? Because like look at all the Jasons, like fans for whatever reason you know, gravitate toward, towards Kane, which didn't come into part seven. And who knows, you know, who knows, maybe if England left after part two, there could have been someone who fans would have loved even more, you know, who the fuck knows, you know? Yeah. There's an alternate universe somewhere where there's nine different Freddies. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you like Steve Dash used to get him mad at everybody. Robert uh, gets mad at so everybody better. in this universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, Steve. The real Jason. <laughs> All right. Uh, next uh, series of questions are from Little Three Cord Me as Chaylin. Favorite meal from over Texas Frightmare Weekend? The barbecue, obviously. Second best. Yard House was quite delicious. I had a burger over there and it was really good. They're a chain, but I, I really enjoyed my burger over there. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Um, those two were the best, but there's nothing that came close to 407 barbecue. So shout out to them. Wow. Just amazing. Anything you plan to do different next time? So if we were to go next year, what what would you change? Nothing. Nothing at all, I don't think. Maybe I would stay a little later into Sunday so I could attend the con a little bit. But other than that, I don't think I would change anything. Yeah, I would agree. That's probably what I would do. I would try to stay an extra day because, I mean, fucking flew out one day, did con two days, flew out the other day. You know, I was in the plane as much as I was at the con. So it's uh, that's something I think that I would change. Just spend more time in Texas, maybe get do a few more Texas things or hang out with people. But other than that, it was great because I I didn't feel rushed at any time. You know, I kind of just I hung out. I went back for beers like often. You know, just to chill with Cody or Evan or Joe or 
myself or whatever. It's it, I, I did it well. You know, I never tired myself out. It was an amazing weekend. All right. And final questions. Uh, back to Patty. Friday the 13th versus Nightmare on Elm Street. Which one is better? I mean, everyone's going to have different answers here. I know. I know me and Todd for sure. No, I mean, I got to go Nightmare on Elm Street. I just, I just find it to be a little more original. So yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I think uh, Friday's the the better franchise. It has more consistent movies. I think there's a couple stinkers opposed to a lot of stinkers from from Nightmare. So plus Freddy's a bitch. I've always said that. Jason kick his ass. Yeah, th- this is a tough one because I find like the better Nightmare movies are better, but the worst <laughs> Nightmare movies are worse. You know, so like Friday the 13th is kind of in the ass crack of all that. So overall, if I had to choose one, I would probably watch a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, over a Friday the 13th. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's definitely more consistent, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, everyone, for the questions. We really appreciate it. We could not do that segment without you. All right, guys, that is going to be it for this week's episode. Don't forget, though, stick around for the interview at the very end of this spiel. Next week. We are going to be doing the original Blair Witch Project. I'm very excited for that. But in the meantime, if you want to keep up with the podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, The Horror Squad Podcast. You can send us an email anytime, Podcast at gmail.com. But of course, the absolute best way to keep up with the podcast is through the Discord. All you got to do, just send us a DM through any of our socials and we will send you a private link to get into the Discord. Also, don't forget, we have merch, tpublic.com backslash the horror squad podcast if you'd like to support. And don't forget, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That is going to be it for this week. Stick around for the interview, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the horror squad podcast, where today we are joined by two very special guests. Their new movie, Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, the Robert England story, will be available on Screenbox and Digital on Robert England's birthday, June 6th, please welcome directors Gary Smart and Christopher Griffiths. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Really Thank you, mate. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Uh, so first of all, guys, fantastic job on the movie. Obviously, you know, we're, we're massive horror fans here and just loved seeing all of the stuff we didn't get to learn about Robert England maybe before. Um, so a simple question for the first one, and one obviously most horror fans already know, but why Robert England? Oh, it's we'll probably do it as a two part of this one. So for me personally, Robert has always been there, obviously, since I was a kid. I loved horror films as a child. I, at the age of five or six, I was allowed to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, like many horror fans probably were. And I, uh, I had a poster of Robert at my bedroom door, a life size poster, which my parents had bought me. And he was just, he was always there. And I think, you know, um, I wasn't a huge fan, maybe, like Chris was, of like Friday the 13th. It was always Robert England and Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger. And even as a kid, I was a film fan where I'd go and try and find other films with the actor in. And again, back in the mid-80s, the late 80s, that was quite difficult about the internet. But I think, for me, celebrating Robert's career, I genuinely, genuinely believe that he's up there with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. I think their careers were ending in the horror genre in the late 70s obviously with hammer kind of filtering off a little bit i know chris lee had a massive career after in terms of lord of rings and star wars but they kind of went stale regards to their careers in horror 
and then Robert appears in, and I think Robert, because of who he is and because of his training and his elegance, he really fits nicely with those guys. And again, we know and appreciate Kane Hodders, Bill Mosley, Sid Hague, Doug Bradley's. They're brilliant. They are icons. But I think Robert just sticks slightly over with the traditional icons. So, and, and for us, more than anything, nobody had bothered doing it. It was absolutely amazing when we discussed it. Nobody had actually done a documentary on Robert. It was like, why? Why haven't people done it? And maybe, maybe because of Never Sleep Again, people thought it would have been told about Freddie. So we kind of, that was kind of the big kind of thing for us. Let's celebrate his career more. And, and obviously Chris can answer the final part of that. You just done my part, mate, and which is why why hadn't anyone done one on uh, Robert England? That's my biggest one, you know. A uh, big fan like Gary as well, um, and I think going what he said as well, you know, you had with the the new era, which is not new anymore. It's half a century, but the new era of horror films from Chainsaw to Halloween to Friday Thirteenth. It was all about faceless killers, bar Jason with his mask off or your cropsies, and even you know some of the gang of hills of ours. But Robert really was that first one where it's like, oh, a character, a personality, which I know is kind of quite obvious to say to any horror fan that. But that's why it's it's been interesting. I never really thought of it until we did this project, how he does sit in the classic monsters, you know, despite being the poster boy of the 1980s. So, yeah, I was, I was a bit dumbfounded, really, that there hadn't been something done on him because Kane had his story. Uh, Danny Trejo, for example, had his, and both of those had like these big dramatic hooks. Kane's injury with a stunt, uh, Danny Trejo going to prison. So I think my my first question was, what's Robert's dramatic hook here? And it really isn't. You know, um, the the main thing for us is obviously wanting to tell someone's story, but honestly, not make up shit or anything like that. You know, how can we make it authentic? Um, but I suppose. Yeah, which it goes for any horror icon. It's that double-edged sword of you're the world's biggest star or, you know, or is your character the biggest star in the world? So that's kind of like what we sort of, I think, used as a baseline for the documentary of Freddie's going to be in this no matter what. It's going to be a selling point. But at the same time, he wants to explore a surprisingly, you know, uh, big career up to that point of who he's worked with, which I think was really interesting. But at the same time, working that really is, it was the foundation of this project, really, of telling the whole story and covering, obviously, you know, the warts and all with being a celebrity. So obviously, Robert, very busy guy. Um, you know, how did you guys kind of uh, approach him to do this? And what was his reaction to it? Uh, again, being a fan of Robert, obviously, I've always wanted to see is there a connection there somehow. And obviously, all our projects previously, though, with Leviathan and Hellraiser and Fright Night, there's no connection with Robert there. So it's like, how can we get Robert in an, in one of our docs other than doing Nightmare on Elm Street, which has been done by our friend Mikey Perez and Tommy Hudson on Never Sleep Again. And then in the end, obviously, Chris and I were talking about let's maybe change the trajectory of our, our, our documentary instead of doing films. Let's do a career and let's do a focus on a career. Who can be our first? And obviously our first was had to be Robert for us. And Robert's notoriously hard to get hold of. You either go through his management team or you go through Nancy's wife. Nancy is the gatekeeper, the bodyguard. And we were told quite early on, really, by our friend Mikey, if Nancy likes you, she will introduce you to Robert. So I just did the kind of cliche thing, but it actually wasn't really. It was from the heart. I wrote a long, long email. Uh, about my love of Robert's career and my love of, of Robert and obviously how I've been a child and grew up obviously Robert 
and been interested in his, and followed his career over outside of the Nightmare on Elm Street world. We wanted to do this documentary about exploring the man behind the glove, the curse and the blessing of that career. And then lo and behold, an email came through from Nancy saying, Robert would like to talk to you on Sunday evening, 8 p.m. Uh, please forward your number. So I, I did, obviously, straight away, even second, my number sent to her. And then Sunday at 10 to 8, I'm absolutely bricking it, thinking, is he going to phone? And then lo and behold, 8 o'clock, dead on, the phone rings. Robert England on the phone. and But it was really strange because he didn't introduce himself like, as, you know, hi, I'm Robert England, Freddy Krueger. It was like, so Gary, tell us what you want to do. And it was like we'd already known each other. It was so, it's such a strange, we had a, we, we had a really good friendship, actually, a very close friendship with an actor called Don Kaufer, who was from Eternal Living Dead. He was really close to me and Chris and our partner, Adam, uh, as, a, as a real close family member, really, Don was in the end. And it felt like you were talking to Don in a really weird way. It was like that barrier was gone straight away of this of who he is, and he wanted to talk to us. And straight away, Robert said, "You know, pitch it to me. What do you want to do?" And I pitched obviously that it was about man behind the glove, blah blah blah. blah. And then Robert just said, "You know, uh, you know, virtually word on word, if you do a documentary on Freddy Krueger, I, I will, I will, in, I'll interview for it. I'll sit down and interview. You know." However, if you if you want to really look at my career and obviously explore outside of Freddie, I will be fully engaged. I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you archives. I will allow you to come into my home. And I said, well, that's what we want to do, Robert. And the next thing you know, we arranged to meet him in London. Uh, he was over here doing, doing a convention. Again, did a quick pitch. He agreed. And the next thing you know, we're in LA shooting um, an interview with him that led on to four interviews in the end with Robert. So he became fully engaged as as a journey went in the end, didn't you, Chris? That's right, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you could segue into obviously, you know, the, the, the later interviews. So I thought you could talk about it. I suppose, yeah, if you if yeah. you guys are happy for us to <laughs> we're we're doing a Robert on you guys now. Blah 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 <laughs> blah blah. blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, cool. Can we, if you want to ask another question, please don't let me intrude. If you've got anything you want to, no, I've, I've, no. I mean, if you guys get the time, we'll, we're definitely here to listen. So. Hey, you've got time, yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, you can tell us this is the last interview. Blah, 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 blah. The other ones have been so short. Um, yeah, like Gary said, actually, it's it's really been interesting and a, a challenge for us as well because we've hopefully kind of, I'd like to think, mastered the art of making a retro, deep retrospective on films and franchises sometimes we go a bit too deep like oh we'll just do fright night let's do fright night one and two let's do robocop let's do robocop one two three the series the games so yeah to sort of like can constrain yourself to like right this is a person we're talking about and it's a new challenge it's a bit more it's a the narrative is about a person's career not just the facts not how did you do achieve this effect and doing deep dives in that respect and you know uh being critical should i say but with this, it was about, okay, it's, it's a person. How, how do we execute this story? So as I said, you have the baseline of Freddie's going to be in here no matter what, and we want to get these other stories. So it's it's the first of its kind for us doing this, talking about someone's career. But what I've really enjoyed is I wasn't there for the first interview. I kind of came into this a bit late, to be honest. Robodoc's kind of been my baby. Pennywise was a joint effort with John. And then this was Gary's baby. And then I kind of hopped on kind of more towards the post-production side. I was there for some of the interviews. And it was like, oh, uh, when it's Lance Henriksen, can I can I do this one? I want to do this one, you know, get into a fist fight. And um, a couple of the other ones, I think I did that with Lynn Shea as well. But um, 
with the interviews, what's been really interesting is that first interview Gary did, as he said, a bit like what we're doing to you now, ask one question, and Robert just had almost like these rehearsed anecdotes going on for three hours, by which point it's almost like, uh, okay, question two after three hours. So we had that, and then the second interview I was there for in London, it was about filling the gaps, talking about Eating Alive and some of the other films. And then the third one I didn't make was uh, where Robert started to open up a bit about his family with you, Gary, you know, his personal life and, you know, his first marriage and whatnot. But um, I was quite lucky in a way because we screened this at Sitch's festival last October in Spain and it went down well. It was the first time he'd seen it. Um, Might as well throw the anecdote in. He actually didn't watch the majority of the film in the cinema with us. He actually um, came to my room, (laughs) mine and my wife's room, to watch it on a laptop, this very laptop. And Gary and Adam came along. What doesn't help is that I'd actually, um, I'll just be honest, I'd just gone for a shit when his wife had called me. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, whoa, baby, baby. And um, yeah, then his wife calls going, oh, um, we're gonna. We, we'd like to watch the film before it screens later on. I'm like, cool. We'll come down with a laptop. You know, get an HDMI cable. No, no, no. We're coming up to yours. We're just in the lobby now. We're coming up, babe. Get the spray. Get the spray. Open the windows. Open the windows. Call a exorcist. Something, please. <laughs> that was an interesting way of watching him with, with him for the first time. And what was interesting about this particular project, we've never had the luck of doing, is you make something. You're like, cool. That's done. Oh, I wish I'd done that. Wish I'd done that, etc. And for as much as we were all happy with the finished product in Sitches, for me, the second hour kind of slowed down a bit because you've had this whole kind of journey of going, come on, we're going to get to Freddy, to Freddy, the hype, you know, the build up that, you know, a bit like against the montage in um, Scarface. You know, it's it's the working your way up to a career and then it's money and montages and whatnot. And then we kind of, I think, dwelled a bit on too many individual films throughout the 90s, didn't we, Gary, really, initially? And for me, watching it, I was like, I kind of wish we had done a bit of this and a bit of that. And as it happens, Robert actually had a bit of creative input at this point. You know, he'd obviously sort of helped steer the narrative with what he gave us. But he kind of said, oh, you, uh, it would be nice, nice if we can include this film I did with Henry Fonda. And I'm like, well, out of all 10 hours you gave us up to this point, and as a film fan, I'm surprised you didn't actually throw that in there. By the way, I worked with one of the you know biggest golden age Hollywood stars. So while we're over there after doing the screening, luckily had taken a camera over and had to make a real scotch tape and chewing gum approach of like, well, shit, and I'm, let's balance that camera on top of like this coffee machine, get my phone, pop it in his pocket. Hopefully it works as a lav mic with no way to monitor it. And like, right, let's go. And that gave us about 15 minutes extra uh, content. Uh, And by that point, with our relationship having developed with him now, and he's more comfortable with us, it gave us that chance to kind of like get him to open up a bit more about, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was like, let's talk a bit about the 90s. The 90s weren't the greatest period for slashers. It was all a bit apart from your candy man and everything, really. It was leaning more towards psychological thrillers like Seven, um, Science of the Lambs. And then until Screen came and kind of did a 180 on the, the genre up to that point, it was diminishing returns. So what was nice was to be able to go, okay, let's get a bit of honesty in there. How did that make you feel? You know, and the fact he, he tried different things. So we would have never achieved that with just one interview with him. So what I've really enjoyed is that let's build it up, but build trust as well that you can open up because it's bloody hard to say to someone, 
It was a bit crap in the nineties, wasn't it? It was. It wasn't. It wasn't the greatest period for horror, and not not him exclusively. But to be able to actually do that and think, yes, my worry was is like, oh god, I really hope that phone was re- recording in his pocket because otherwise he would have sounded like he was in a tin can. But that's that's what's been like really exciting about this is getting the opportunity to actually finish something, and then you know, rarely do people get the chance to go. What if we just completely? Ch- I know there's test screenings for films, but let's let's shake up that second half. So, and I think the biggest one was uh, Stranger Things when we had interviewed him about that. That was 2019, I think. Gary pre-COVID, yeah. he couldn't say much to us. There was a lot of red tape because it hadn't come out. But then by doing this now, Stranger Things season four has been out, and I think my biggest regret watching the edit initially is what was said about Stranger Things. Like, oh yeah, I happen to be in that big show that's on Netflix at the moment, and I can't really tell you much more. And uh, it was really good, really fun, really fun. And when you watch season four, you're like, ah, oh, bollocks! It's Vecna's literally Freddy. So we're gonna have the most redundant conversation with him, yeah, you know, featuring the documentary about you know, well, why didn't they mention it's a bit like Nightmare on Elm Street? So to be able to kind of like manufacture that in there a bit, or say now you can talk about it and actually come off with that really nice anecdote, which, you know, is fitting for an ending as well, that the kids that came to see him back in the day for Freddie are now parents and they're introducing their kids going, Oh, that's Freddie. Oh wait, no, no, no. Sorry. That's, that's Vecna's dad. So to me, it's the evolution of this project has just been, well, we've been very, very lucky. And I think, you know, thanks to Screenbox's support and helping really flesh out what, it's got potential to be with like steel books and everything like that. It's like, holy shit. This is like, feels like our first big legit project. So there's the short answer. <laughs> Thumbs up. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, obviously being like a big fan of the genre, I thought pretty, I knew pretty much everything there was to know about Robert England and, you know, coming into a documentary like this, you're expecting it to be 95%, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. But what I really loved about this documentary is you guys touched on his entire filmography and I learned just so much. I found the stuff obviously about Phantom of the Opera really uh, interesting and also um, without spoiling a little Star Wars tidbit that I really yeah. didn't know about too much. Um, so I just want to know, was there anything, any sort of like, what was your like sort of favorite revelation that maybe you didn't know that Robert disclosed to you guys? I mean, I'd, I'd heard obviously the Star Wars story before and I'd heard obviously when I saw uh, Mark Hamill's tweet about it a few years ago where he said that didn't happen but Robert is adamant that it happened so I love that I'm a big star when Darth Vader behind me I'm a big Star Wars fan so for me it's like you know that was probably it I mean there's loads of stuff it's really hard to remember some of the stuff because when you when you interview somebody three or four years ago interview four times then you go for a whole obviously editing process and we worked really collaborative together on that me and Christian we spent hours and hours obviously going over footage you kind of forget the gold really it sounds bad because you're so focused on the narrative i know that some things that chris picked up on which he, he had to have in the dot which obviously from Sitches, wasn't it chris some, some little anecdotes the, ha- the halloween the halloween yeah. one i think because i think a lot of this stuff does kind of like filter out doesn't it into the internet every so often on social media and i know the star wars one because gary did try attempt to get mark hamill but his people said nope um but the Halloween one is like it's that that came about because I actually said to him with the whole putting a phone in his pocket and having to just utilize whatever was around me. Hence, the footage doesn't look quite as good as the other ones. I'll admit that that's my my fault with limited resources. But it's what he says is important. 
But as I was setting up this very, you know, this is an established actor. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to put my camera on that coffee table there and use that light above you. I couldn't help but, like, try and justify my actions to him by saying, oh, I learned this from uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, who did Fright Night 2 and Halloween 3, the scotch tape and chewing gum approach. And it was as I was saying that, even though I had questions written, this was going to, you know, we knew we were doing this little interview. It was like, oh, yeah, Tommy, I remember working with him on Halloween. I was like, talk. Now, so you know, and you know, feels a bit crass, but like God knows, he's given us so many interesting anecdotes of Mm -hmm. he's worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's worked with you know, been on set with James Cameron and all this. And that's like, well, we've gone this far down the rabbit hole of clank name drops, mate. The fact that Freddy Krueger worked on you know, the Halloween set, even if it was for a few hours. You know, this is, again, what's lovely about the bloke is he doesn't say this stuff as if, you know, oh, yeah, I've done this. He genuinely cares. He loves films. So he'd be like any of us probably stepping onto a set. We'll forever be going like, oh, my God, I got to paint Danielle Harris's toenails on Rob Zombie's Halloween or something like that, you know. So the fact we were able to kind of get that in there as well, extra gold dust, um, I think that was the one that got me the most was Halloween. In fact, I'd forgotten about it. And that he mentioned it, it was just like, oh, go, 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 go. We're doing it. I can see how it's going to work now. We'll use leaves and we better not use much footage from the film. For da, 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 da. So <laughs> how can we work around that? So, yeah. For me, was- for me as well, it wasn't it wasn't probably so much a story, but it was obviously a person. I really like the fact we got Nancy as well to come out of her shell. Because a lot of times you see Nancy at the convention, she's really behind the scenes. And obviously she, you know, she, but she's really important to Robert's life. I mean, of course she's his wife, but she's more than just his wife. She really protects him. And there's times where she tells him to shut up and stuff like that. And she, she, you know, we've been there, we've been fans queuing up and he's allowing people to come over. And she's going, no, Robert, stop. You know, you're tired. You know, just give yourself 10 minutes. And I think having her voice in it, and she was really nervous. You know, she didn't want to do it. And we kind of convinced her you know, how important she was. That was really special to me, I think, because Robert wasn't there either. We got on our own so we could talk to her, like, quite frankly, really, about Robert and the impact he's had on her. And there's lots of stuff we didn't use in the doc, which she said really, which didn't fit. So I think that was really kind of a, a nice moment, not just a story, but a person who never gets any accolades or credit. And she's helped form his career, really. She really has. And she didn't get the credit she deserves. So hopefully she's come out in the doc now as somebody who's really like, you know, the kind of like the rock for him, really, more than anything. She's the rock. Yes, I think you recognize the eyebrows. God, yeah, no, she's because she wasn't wearing a khaki shirt in the jungle. She pulled a wig off and it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool, yeah. (laughs) Um, So so we're a horror podcast, and obviously Robert's a very big part of the horror genre. So outside of A Nightmare on Elm Street, what would be one movie that you think is an underrated Robert England gem that you would recommend to our listeners? I think Buster and Billy. I think it's one of it's his first movie, Buster and Billy. So that's obviously iconic as itself. But I think you know when you look at Robert's career back in the seventies, he, he was literally playing as he was the sidekick. It's just a, a strange film that Buster and Billy. So obviously, it's quite a, a tragic movie, if anything. And I think Robert plays such a, a endearing character in it as well. I mean, the role's not huge, but it's still a you know, very strong supporting role. I think it just shows that little bit of gold, as Chris said, you know, there's gold dust everywhere, you know, in people's careers and in projects. It just shows something there with Robert. And I think it's great to look at Robert's, uh, one, his actual first movie. People, people go right back to the very start and just see how he was already really talented all the way back then. And that was because of his theatre career. You know, he'd been in the theatre for years. A lot of that just don't get that. A lot of that just comes straight, obviously, you know, 
into an audition and end up on a film set. We don't have that nowadays, particularly we don't, you know, back in the day, which is Dreyfus season, obviously the Rob Ingalls came from, from the theatre. Now the actors don't. They end up doing a reality TV show and end up being famous and starring in a movie. Um, so I think that's probably one for me. And again, it's cliche in saying it, but go right to the beginning. I think Stay Hungry for me. I mean, I, yeah, Stay Hungry and Big Wednesday, I've always been a fan of. Stay Hungry because I was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. So, you know, it's like, oh my God, a film with Tron, The Terminator and Freddy Krueger in? Nothing like those films at all, of course. But I kind of, I grew my old man's into his 70s, you know, low-key drama. So I kind of accepted it quite quickly because I do like five easy pieces. Um, in terms of the horror ones, though, the one I'm going to give a credit to actually is um, Funhouse Massacre was really surprisingly, like, tonally funny. And uh, Andy Palmer was a great uh, interview we got as well, actually. So that that's my shout-out. Nice little underrated uh, one. So I do have one final question for you guys, though. Um, you got some amazing people, other than Robert England, in here, obviously. A lot of horror legends, uh, such as, you know, Tony Todd, Eli Roth, Lance Henriksen. The list goes on and on. Many Elm Street alumni. So I just want to know, other than Robert, of course, uh, who is uh, your favorite one to talk to? It's really hard, isn't it, that? Because yeah. there's so many people. Uh, don't make yeah. us do this like Sophie's yeah. Choice. Ah. It's just really it's just really, really hard because so many people <laughs> added different value to it as well. I mean, there's people like David DeVale, who obviously is a film historian. He just He came across so well. In terms of his film, you know, his film knowledge, I really enjoyed it. My favourite person ever is Peter Atkins. I just love Peter. Peter's the chap who wrote uh, Wishmaster, but we've got a long history with Peter. Every year we go to the, when we, every time we go to LA, we always meet him at Dino's Pizza and have a meal with him. Uh, I just love the guy. I'm so glad we're getting him in it. And the other one, very quickly, is Steve Johnson. I just love Steve Johnson. We, we worked with him three, four times now. But everybody else we love as well. I can, I can so see you messaging him after this going, I said you're my favourite one, Pete. I said you're my favourite one, Steve. And yeah, we have, we've been lucky that we've got a lot of repeat offenders on our documentaries. Gregor and Bart, who did the effects for Night 2. Um, Bart is the daddy of Pennywise, the effects on that. He worked on Robocop. Gregor worked on Robocop. So we got a lot of these repeat offenders who come along. Pete Atkins as well for Hellraiser. So they're all great. If, I, if I'm going to be honest and just say, right, I'm going to give you what you want, which is one answer. I think for me it was just Lance Henriksen. You know, it was it was just like, oh my god. You know, like I don't get too nervous when meeting people, but when you like, and it's it's purely because I've known Lance Henriksen, not personally, obviously, but since I was like this big, well, it's probably yeah, you know, <laughs> my head was probably that big, but. <laughs> Terminator and Aliens, I think, you know, most people of our generation saw it at a very early age, much like Night on Elm Street. And I think it was the fact he was about 20 minutes late and you just, yeah, yeah, the apprehension builds up because some people walk on, into the room and you're like, uh, oh shit, there's Bill Cat. Oh my God, Bill Cat from Carrying House. And yeah, that's great. But with people like him, it's like, oh, it's a 20 minute delay and you're just anxieties build up. And I think it gives you that moment to kind of acknowledge like, holy shit, Lance Henriksen's coming. Uh, and when he came, and I think just the, an the anecdote we got for him, and a few people were like this, but he rocked up, and you know, we 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 were like out on the street outside the studio, and like, oh, there he is! Oh, hello, wave, wave! Drives past, and then we're like ushering him into the car park, you know, like valet boys or something like that. And he comes out of the car, and the first <laughs> first thing he said was like, 
This fucking bitch was trapping me on the highway. I couldn't even get through. All right, let's just go. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's Hendrickson. We set him down. And honest to God, the interview went something like this. So anyway, and he was just going and going and going and going and going and going. And it was a bit like us again, where it was like, it was, yeah, a bit like, it was a bit like, please mention Robert. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't forget to mention Robert as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had that. And Eli Roth was the same as well. Again, it was like, question one, name. So, anyway, you come back around full circles. What's going on with the films? And you're like, Jesus Christ, he's answered all the questions again. So, yeah, there was a, there was a, everyone we appreciate that. And I think we were discussing with some other people before, you know, when you're in the, when you're in the moment, that it's the task that is what takes the forefront of your mind, you know? Um, it's only afterwards you're like, fuck, I was just with that. I was with that person. I was with that person. I was with bloody Lynn Shea from Insidious and all that, you know? So it, it's only afterwards in hindsight, you sort of really acknowledge you're like, oh my God, I got to be with that person. Whereas when you're in the moment, you kind of wish you could take yourself out of it a bit, you know, just to kind of really absorb what's going on. But Everyone was great. And I think everyone was kind of chosen for a reason. I've used this anecdote again, but, you know, a friend of mine said, oh, of course you've got Corey Taylor in there. Corey Taylor's an 80s horror doll. Corey Taylor's in this, you know. But actually, he was with Robert on a film. You know, it's firsthand. We don't just put people in there for face value. They've all got kind of a reason that they have worked with him or have got something to say. And they all played their parts brilliantly. And in particular, you know, Kane Hodder being so candid about the whole experience with Freddy versus Jason to me was just like, yes, you know, there's the drama, but no, everyone played a role. Uh, everyone was chosen wisely by the guys and uh, they all delivered in spades. Absolutely. And guys, unfortunately we have to go. I could talk to you all day about this though. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everyone make sure to go check out Hollywood dreams and nightmares. The Robert England, England story. It's coming out June 6th. Cheers, right, guys. See you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Fred Krueger, the man, it doesn't matter because I'm...